and it was a week before school started. It was August 28th, and I was 23. And I was a handsome fellow back then. <laughs> so I get a phone call, 7.30 in the morning, it's my sister. Two words comes out of her mouth. Dad's dead. That's dead. That's it. No more. And I remember 23, thinking, well, he lived a long life. He's 48 years old. He's my age right now. And it was tough. And I think that we have to always keep in mind we do not know what's going to happen today. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I think we have all this time. But the only thing you're guaranteed is this, last, this next second. That's it. And I can go through a lot of scriptures on God and the judgment, but I'm not going to do to it. But let's just agree that there's a day that we're going to stand before God. Go ahead and turn your Bibles over to Genesis chapter 1. Regardless, we're going to start at the beginning. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Give me a second to find it. It says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female. He created. This is an astounding verse. The creator of the universe created mankind, created you, created me, created Adam, created Eve in his own image. No other creation we know of was created in his image. Humankind is an extraordinary creation. Mankind is an extraordinary creation created to have an extraordinary relationship with his creator. Go ahead and turn your Bibles over to Genesis chapter 3, please. See, God created Adam and Eve, and we know that he gave them a task. He gave them a job. He gave them the garden. And as a young man, I used to think, garden sounds really boring. <laughs> right? Sounds really like but now as I get older, it sounds like a place of respite, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So God gave them this garden. He's going to say, you, I want you in my garden. And he created them without shame. They had complete innocence, right? Yeah. And they were grown up, right? So they're naked running around, right? I mean, if, you guys would be ashamed for me if I was naked. <laughs> Bad! <laughs> But they had complete innocence, complete joy, and their tin in his garden, he gave them a purpose. And it says that God would come in and take a walk in the cool of the day. Right? And it made me start thinking about the blessing of having kids. Right? You come home. I come home from my, so to this day, I come home, and my kids are running up to me, excited to see me. Right? And I'm like, that's not all, I'm not all that great. <laughs> right? And there's so much joy in their life. There's so much love on them. They jump and they give me hugs. 
And I think of Adam and Eve just running up to God. Hey, God, yeah. You get to see God going, hey, guys, oh, this is awesome. You know, the joy coming into his face. The scripture says, in his presence is the fullness of joy. Psalm 16, verse 11. In his right hand is pleasures eternal. That's God, the presence of God. And I, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I think about this, about, I don't know about your parents. I think every parent has a video of their kid when they're a toddler running naked in their, in their, in their you know, on the lawn. My parents used to always pull that out. People come here, let me show you Brian when he was two or three, right? And we have this video of Brock, and I asked my kids if I could share whatever I wanted. He is naked as can be, right? And he's got this little play lawnmower, right? Right? Just the joy and the fun and the innocence, the curiosity, he's having fun. Now, we can't imagine an adult doing that. I surely wouldn't want to imagine me doing that. I don't want to imagine that. That's what I think it was like. There was joy. There was innocence. There was fun. I think when we, my daughter and I, we used to play this um, game called Super Noel. Right? We'd lay it on my back, and she'd have the animals over here. And we'd go, ding a ling a ling a ling She'd have to say, hello, is this Super Noel? Yes, we need a rescue. <laughs> I want to still play that. Because it brought me so much joy. It was so much fun. Tea party? No. Hate tea party. Hate party. I know. I brought this book. I was going to pass it around. And this is my little animals when they were little. Right? Little Brock. We were downstairs and I was talking to, uh, I think it was Nancy. She's like, oh, I have a little seat that little Brock. He's so darn cute. He's going to give this Daniel. It's your future, bro. Yes. <laughs> Just the joy they bring me, the innocence they have is amazing. I think God just loved his time with them. You know, after a hard day doing whatever he was doing in the spiritual realms, we look forward to that walk with his kids. Coming home. But to have a true relationship, there has to be a choice. Or it's a deception, a construct. And so God, in his amazing wisdom, put a tree in the garden. And he told his kids, he said, listen, have anything you want. Just don't touch that tree. If you touch that tree, you're going to die. If you eat from that tree, you're going to die. So you guys know, what happens when somebody tells you not to do something? You want to do it. My kids. You <laughs> want to do it. And I think, about, I wonder how long, every day in the garden, they walk by that tree and they're like, eh, no. No. And that tree probably started looking really, 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 really awesome. Probably better than the other trees, right? Because they couldn't touch it. Because he said not to touch it. Right? So there was that curiosity. And there was the test. And we know how the story goes. You know, they, they were created for an extraordinary relationship. And sometimes when we're when we're in a relationship, we don't necessarily Think about the consequences of what the choices we make will have. 
And when there is a choice, there is always a test. The choice is made, sin enters. And we know from the Bible what the, the, the definition of sin in Hebrew is transgression. They transgressed. So as sin enters, at that moment, in that instant, everything changes. Not only for Adam, not only for Eve, not only for every all of humankind, but also for creation. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. With sin comes shame. With transgression comes shame. The innocence, the joy, gone. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God from among the trees of the garden. When there is shame, there is fear. And when we're afraid, we run. And we hide. And we isolate. Verse 9. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? I think that's what the Lord calls us to when we're struggling. Where are you? He knows where you are. But he calls us. Verse 10. Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I did. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? Mm -hmm. See, he gives Adam the opportunity to tell him what he already knew. And the man said, the woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So he confesses. Does Adam take responsibility for that? And this is not a rhetorical question. I want you guys to answer this. Who does he blame? God. He blames God. He said, not my fault. This woman you put here, she's the one who did it. It is your fault, God. That's how I read this. Yep. He did not leave. The Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the servant deceived me and I ate. Did she confess? Yes. yes. Did she take responsibility? No. And he goes on and he talks to the serpent. And I think, you know, one thing I learned years ago, and I really try to implement is a saying. It's called, pull the thumb, don't point the finger. And you see it in my kids all the time, and it drives me nuts. And I'll just look at them right now. It drives me nuts. <laughs> And I see it in myself, and it drives me nuts. My first inclination always is to point. It's not to say, what about me? My first inclination is to say it's somebody else's fault. It's the situation's fault. Here's the circumstances. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's not to take a look at me and say, whoa, I blew it. <laughs> right? And we see there's consequences from these sins. And God goes through the consequences. And the consequences for the woman, the consequences for mankind, is that her seed would be at war with the ruler of this world. The consequence for the woman particularly would be there's pain and childbirth, and man would rule over her. And that is just something that's been a hard thing for years, for centuries, for thousands of years. 
We see the consequence for man. Creation is cursed. And there will be painful toils all the days of their life. And death has entered for everybody. And not only that man is cursed, woman is cursed, but entire creation, that which he was the Lord of, is cursed. It says in Romans that the creation is decaying. It's dying in Romans 8. Because of this sin, and it has been since the beginning, and it is waiting eagerly, because it did not, it didn't do it. It didn't do anything. It did nothing, and it is dying. It is being corrupted until the Son of Man, the Son of God, or gods are, are revealed. And a lot of times, that's the effect, you know, us creation. We don't. Sometimes we're suffering from things we didn't do. Right. A lot of times, a lot of times we're suffering from things we did do. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times we're suffering from what other people do, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes, and I'll just say this, sometimes we're just suffering, and Job teaches this, just because it's the will of God. Mm-hmm. And so you see the de- devastating result here. I think the most, that's what I said. The most devastating, the, dev- the devastating result, I think, was the altering of the elite in eternal relationship between them and their creator. Their separation from God. Now, instead of joy, they have insecurity and fear. Now they are facing physical death. How terrifying that must have been for them. To have had a level of communion with God, a level of relationship, and watch that intimacy die. The pain. The regret. The Bible doesn't speak to it, but I I wonder what it had what effect the decisions that was made had effect on their relationship with each other. Yeah. Yeah. What was that like? Trying to forgive your spouse. To let it go. When you lost Joy, peace, security, love, communion. And now you're toiling, you're in pain, and you're hurt. And neither one of them from the scriptures took responsibility for their own part. This consequence doesn't just stop with us. Consequence affects other people around us. And frankly, it passes on to our children. Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve had two boys. The boys grew up. Cain and Abel. We don't know what their growing up was like, but we do know they had a relationship with God. The scriptures tell us that out Abel came and gave a great sacrifice to God. Cain came and gave a sacrifice to God. God did not think it was a great sacrifice. I'm not sure why. God rebukes Cain a bit. Says, do better. And then something enters Cain. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. God speaking to Cain. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do what is not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. See, God intervenes in the relationship between Cain and Abel and says, You've got it, you're in danger here, buddy. You've got a real issue going on. You've got to rule over this. We know how that is. God intervenes in our lives all the time. He gives us a chance to say, don't 
you know that voice that says, don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. Well, I'm going to share this story, but I'll share this story. I grew up in Montana, Round Guns, rural Montana. I was at my brother's apartment. I think I was 17, and his roommate, his name was Jace. And I was there. It's about 3 in the morning on a Friday night. And Jace had a 357, right? And he showed me the 357, right? He's showing it to me, blah, blah, blah. It's empty. Closed it, closed it right? He's like, hey, I got to get to work at 7 in the morning. You got to go. Puts it in the drawer, closes the drawer, turns out the light, and says, go. I leave. The next day, being a 17-year-old person whose brain isn't fully developed, I don't know if my brain has been fully developed since then. <laughs> my wife doesn't think so. Um, I broke in to my brother's apartment to go through his stuff. You know, it's fun. Had my best friend there named Wendy Sharman, and I thought I was going to be cute. Because I had a 357 that was unloaded. So I reached in the drawer and said, hey, take a look at this. And I put it right up to her face. Oh my God. I cocked the gun. She's like, don't do it. And I was like, I knew it was unloaded, right? She's like, it's, uh, and I started pulling the trigger in a voice. I said, don't. I was like, I kept pulling the like, oh, it's unloaded. Don't. I was like, here, look. Shh. Bully load. Oh. oh my gosh. Sometimes you need to listen to that little boy. In one instant, my life would have been completely different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More importantly, her life would have been different. Yeah. So we see sin enters. And I think about also how Adam and Eve, what it was like for them to watch what happened to their children. And knowing that in some ways they were responsible for sin and transgression again. That their one son, through his hand, murdered their other son. What did that do to their hearts? How did that affect? Right? Imagine the pain that's associated with that. And we see that, you know, in the scripture, and I don't know what the literary term is, I'm very bad in English, but I would call it personification. God gives sin a personification. He says it is crouching at your door, ready to pounce. Gives you this image that is waiting. And it has a desire, it has a hunger. And that hunger is to do what? Rule you. To have you. To devour you. And it will have you if you do not rule over it. When we see sin, it's evil. It's horrible. It blinds us. It changes us. We hate it, but we love it. And if you're honest with yourself, you know you love it. You know you love that, that hit. It gives us. See, it wasn't enough, and it still is not enough, oftentimes, for us to be in the image of God. We want to be God. And that's what Satan really, really tempted them. You will be just like God. See, we bow to its power when we transgress. Sinner enters, it motivates, <clears throat> it is motivated to have you, to rule you, it lies, it promises it will be worth it. Sin tells us that God wants to keep the good stuff from us. That what we want matters more than what he has for us. Sin is a deceiver. It promises you that you will be on top and it becomes your ruler. It promises freedom, but it makes you its slave. It promises you satisfaction, but after that little sweetness it gives you, there's only lasting bitterness and blackness. 
It takes freedom that God created to be enjoyed within proper boundaries. Pleasures which God created to be enjoyed within proper boundaries. It says freedom has no boundaries. So it perverts God's pleasure that he has given us and changes it into something that rules over us. See, the scripture says, right? It says, in his presence is the fullness of joy. Sin tells us there is no joy in the presence of God. Your joy is found in something else. Whatever it is your thing is. The scripture says, in his right hand, there's pleasures. Pleasures eternal. Sin tells you pleasure isn't found in God. And we believe it. And in the end result, always is pain. Is suffering. So how do we treat pain? We have a doctor here. She can tell you how to treat pain better than me. But I'll tell you how I typically go about treating pain. I medicate. So when sin is causing the pain in my life, how do I medicate? I do more sin. I need more of that bitterness, right? Or that, more of that sweetness to hit it. Take my mind off of what I'm hurting. We harden our hearts so we don't feel the pain. You see that the older we get, the harder our hearts get. That little children who's not innocent, full of joy. You see the sin that's been put in their lives, their sins, they've been sinned against, or they have to harden their hearts to survive because the pain is too much. We try to escape, right? For me, it's media. You know, try to get into some media. And from that pain, you'll see anger because anger is a secondary emotion coming from pain. And I think... I remember when I was a young man, and I like to say I was emotionally constipated. <laughs> I was. And I had a mentor in my life who I extremely I respected a ton, and we're sitting there, I'm 26, and he gives me some really hard input. You ever have somebody give you really, really hard input? And I, you know, I was I took it. I was like, all right, I'll change. He's like, well, how do you feel? Nothing. Well, sounds like you got to seeing this in my character, I want to change that, I want to change it. He's like, no, 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 Brian, how do you feel about what I said? Dude, you said what you said, you're seeing what you, you see what you see, I'm going to change. He's like, no, 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 Brian, how does that make you feel? I don't feel anything. You, there's a problem in my character and I'm going to change it. And he said something to me, he goes, you need to get in touch with your feelings. <laughs> Boom! Right? What? Feelings? Gary, that's what's wrong with this church. Feelings. Feelings. That's what's wrong. But being a good disciple of Christ, I was like, well, I'm going to just the truth. So I started to try to figure out what are my feelings. And that led on a, a decade of woo, woo, woo. But also a decade of learning what it meant to be a disciple. Yes. And to have a relationship with yeah. 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 And to have a relationship with my brothers and sisters. Because when I you don't feel, you can't connect. Mm -hmm. Right. When you don't go, you don't allow yourself to feel the pain, you won't recognize the pain in others. Or you won't care about the pain in others. And so a lot of the suffering in life, the vast majority of it is due to sin. Sin that we do, sin other people do. Sin is a destroyer of life, it's a destroyer of joy. It's a destroyer of goodness. It's a destroyer of pleasure, relationships. We were created to have an extraordinary relationship with God. 
and frankly extraordinary relationship with one another. Yeah. And sin destroys it. Yeah. You know, I was talking to Todd a little bit about a point a while about, about media and things like that. And he brought up the sixth sense. Have you guys ever seen that movie, Sixth Sense? Yeah. <laughs> and how mom, the mom slowly over time poisons the daughter. Yeah. Right? Nobody thinks it's the mom poisoning her, right? And it's only her spirit that comes back and reveals her the tape. Oh, yeah. Right? No, so the woman, the mother, who is grieving at the, the, the funeral and the memorial of her daughter, is revealed that she's the one over time killed. And I think that what we put in our brain, what we put in our ears, and the voices we listen to and the self-talk we have, slowly poisons. Yes. Yeah. Over time, slowly poisons. So we can start dying, dying, dying. Start losing vision. We start being able to hear. I don't know if you've ever taken a fast from media and come back after maybe a month. I remember when I, the first time I ever just like, you know, I got to cut this stuff out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. I came back and watched the show, which didn't bother me before, and I watched it, I was like, whoa, yeah. holy cow. Yeah. Because as I was being poisoned, my heart was being hard, yeah. hard, slower, and slower, mm-hmm. and slower. So we talk about the pain that it, sin causes me, causes you, causes the world. But what I really want to talk about tonight, today, is the effect it has on him. Humankind is the Lord's image bearer. Take away the sin from you or your eye, and you will see the image of God. His children separated from him. How did it make him feel? What was he to do? He's a God of justice, a God of holiness. He is, that is who he is. He can have nothing to do with transgression. And the extraordinary relationship that he had created for himself, the people, he had his kids. He didn't want to have fellowship. The joy, right? Mm-hmm. The pain it caused him. <clears throat> and I never used to think God felt pain. I like, he's God. Get over it, right? In some ways, you know, my arrogance. God, you know, he's a God of love, but pain. But to the capacity that he, if he's a God of infinite love, that means he's given the people, the creation that, Loves him the capacity for infinite pain to give to him. Yeah. There was a situation a number of years ago. And God, in His mercy, and I'll be quick about it. He had organized. He basically his timing was perfect for the maximum devastation in my life. Right, his timing was perfect. Another death, major sin, not for mine, and I. And, and it was perfect because I was really very close to him at the time when it happened. And the, the amount of emotional pain I felt was unbearable. I was, I could only get through it by clinging to him, journaling. And, and it happened within two days, but the effects were like three weeks. 
And over the course of that three weeks, I learned more about God than I've learned about, I think, in the entire thing. And he kept taking me to different things. And it was not, there was no sin involved in my life. It was people who had sinned against me. And I was in a relationship with somebody, kind of rich somebody, but I'll just call, I'll call the person Dave. And I'm sitting across from Dave, and Dave had sinned. Okay, he'd blown it. And God was calling me to be there for him. David really sinned against me in a powerful way. And he recognized it, and he knew he did. Right? And I hadn't done anything to get it. And usually I do something to deserve it. This time I didn't. He had affected many people by his sin. Terrible consequences. Right? And he, because of that sin, there was consequences that something he loved was being taken away from him. And it was killing him on the inside. And he was so angry and so upset. And you know who he got lashed out at? Me and God. And I remember sitting there going, holy cow, dude, I was incredulous. I was like, I didn't sin against you, man. You sinned against me. This is your fault. And at that moment, at that moment, God communicated to me and says, that's how you make me feel. You hurt me, you hurt me, you hurt me, and then you blame me for the hurt you're feeling. And it changed everything way I looked at things. The objects of his love have an infinite capacity to hurt him. And let's look at a few scriptures, and I'll just read through these. Genesis chapter 5. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Isaiah 63 verse 10. Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 6 verse 9. Then in the nations where they had been carried captive, those who escaped will remember me. How I have been grieved by their adulterous hearts, which have turned away from me, and by their eyes, which have lusted after their idols. Psalm 78, the psalmist says, How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the wasteland. Ephesians 4 verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We're going to read Hosea here. There's three prophets in the Bible that I don't want anything to do with. I would never want to be. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Hosea. If I had to pick one, I ain't picking any three. If you're not familiar with Hosea, Hosea was a prophet of God, and God told Hosea to go and marry a woman who was a prostitute and have children by her. And Hosea obeyed. And he told her, he told him to love her, to love her. Well, what did the, his wife do? She left him to prostitute herself. And God comes back to him and says, no, no, no. Now you go back and you, you get her and you marry her again. You bring her back. And over and over and over, God is saying, teaching Hosea, now you understand how I feel. I love you. I pour my life out for you. I care for you. I'm hurting. Hosea chapter 11 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. 
I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. My people, my people are determined to turn from me, even though they call me God Most High. I will no means exalt them. How? How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are aroused. God suffers. The question isn't, does God love us? The question is, do we love God? The forgotten pain of sin is the pain it causes our reward. <clears throat> the separation you feel causes us pain. The separation from sin that we create in relationship with one another causes us pain, but it does hurt him. We are no longer walking in the garden. About four years ago, I was struggling with um, just, you know, the life of a disciple, the life of following Christ is not necessarily the easiest life in the world. Sin's crouching at your door all the time. Some of us embrace it sometimes. I do. And then the devastation that comes from it. And I was working through my emotions of just going, God, why do I have to obey? You're saying I, just, I can't work to be saved. And I think there's going to be a great lesson next week by Kelly on works and grace. It's going to be awesome. Because we cannot earn salvation. We can't. Not by our works. Right? We can't. But it says there's no, there's no God. Obey me. Right? And I was like, God, why can't you just accept me for how, how I am? We know the scripture says, even though we were still sinners, he, he died for us. But as you walk with that, you're like, oh, this stinks. Because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And now that hardening of the heart is even not worse the more the sin hurts that much more. Right? Yeah. And I was praying to God. I was crying out to him. Lord, can't you decide? The scripture says your, 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 your commands are not burdensome. Right. Oh, you feel burdensome to me. <laughs> yeah. Right? Right. These things aren't easy. <laughs> Forgiven, not doing that. And here's the scripture he led me to, and I'm going to ask you to turn there. Romans 13. Man, for can't you just accept me for who I am? He created you. He moved you together, right? And this is the answer God gave to me, and it changed my perspective on everything. So, when we fell, when there was a fall in the garden, God started a plan. And that plan was to create, to reconstruct that relationship. So that he could still have that communion with his children. Romans 13, verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Now stop right there. What is the law? The law is every commandment God has given us. Right? Do not touch. No, did it, all the commandments God has given us is the law. And he goes on to say that. He says the commandments, you should not commit adultery. You should not murder. You should not steal. You should not covet. And whatever other commands there may be are summed up. Right? What other, what every, go through Leviticus, look at every command in there, right? Look, look at it, summed up in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love does no harm to a neighbor. <coughs> Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So what is this saying? What he said to me here is, listen, the law, love does no harm. So every commandment I have given you, every commandment I've laid down for you is so that you would not be harmed. That you would do no harm. That you would cause no pain to yourself, to others, and to me. They said, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you will do, do no harm. Now we know the two greatest commandments. Now, somebody shout them out. Think about that. God says, okay, here's your first commandment. Here's your commandment. Love me with all your heart, soul, and strength. Okay? Everything you got, love me. <clears throat> it's all about the second commandment. Because if you love me with all your heart, soul, and strength, you will love each other. You will not hurt each other. You know, I have kids. We talked about them. They're pretty amazing. There is nothing more infuriating or hurting to me than when I see them hurting each other. Right? Drives me nuts. Just don't. Don't hit him back. <laughs> right? Albie, annoying little brother, come on. Right? She's Nong, which is Noel Mom. Right? <laughs> Stop it. Stop hurting each other. God is saying the commandments, all these things I've told, told you to do, so you don't hurt each other. I challenge you to go through Leviticus, all the commands, and you'll see God trying to protect his special relationship from hurting each other. And it, it's it's amazing, because you look from the beginning of creation is that sin perpetuates sin, right? And I've shared this with a lot of people. This was a, I have a bad day. I come home. Who do I take it out on? My wife. Who's my closest to? My wife. Who's my best friend? My wife. Who is the least person that deserves any of this? My wife. I pour my sin into her. So what does she do? Who does she take it out on? Yes, Brock. Yes, you too. That's right. She takes it out on Brock and Noel. Who do they take it out on? Each other. And so since the beginning of time, right? Since the beginning of time, sin propagates sin. It starts and it goes and it spreads like a virus. It takes over the host. It makes the host create more and more sin. Then it kills the host and spreads to everybody else. Right? It is a virus. So throughout all this, God creates his law. He creates these things. And he creates it with a purpose in mind to lead to one person. Jesus Christ. This makes so much sense to me. Jesus did not sin. The scripture says, a bruised reed he would not harm. He did no harm. It says it was God's will to crush him, to put all our inequity onto him, all our sin onto him. Imagine that pain. God saying, the only way I can show you how much I love you is to show you how much I'm willing to feel pain for you, to die for you, to hurt you. 
So Jesus Christ comes. And those he went to who are, were his did not recognize him. Right? And he comes, and he does not sin. And then he goes to the garden, and he is tested. He does not want to go to the cross. But he says, not my will, your will be done. And he gets on the cross for you, for me, for all eternity. And God demonstrates his love for us through Jesus. He demonstrates how much he hurts for us through his son. And then Jesus on that cross, he turns to you, he turns to me, he turns to you, and he says, be like me. Do no harm. Hurt no one. Do not sin. And it makes the Sermon on the Mount so much sense. How can you not turn, how can you turn the other cheek, right? Defend yourself. Ask me to ask for your cloak. Give them your chinook too. Why? Do no harm. And that's the challenge as a disciple of Christ. That we still sometimes struggle to look at the author and the perfecter of our faith and trust him to be a God of justice. A God of faith. See, I, I share this before. It's like, I look at it this way. My son, Albie, who's actually brought. Now, I did ask him if I could share stuff with him. So he goes to my daughter's room and he trashes it. Right? So my daughter comes to me and she says, hey, Brock trashed my room. So does Noel get comforted? Yes. Rocket discipline, <coughs> you bet. Brock goes into Noel's room and trashes it. Noel says, Yeah. She goes back to his room and she trashes it. Does Noel get comforted? No. Does Brock get comforted? No. Does Noel get disciplined? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Does Brock get disciplined? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And each one of them thinks they got a raw deal. Never happened. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the same thing we do in our lives with one another. We take vengeance. We say, Lord, we don't trust God to say, All right, you take care of that, Lord. Right? Because Jesus will. It's been my experience over all these years that what you reap, you will sow. You will sow. God is a God of justice and mercy, and He spanks hard. Yeah. So don't raise your hand and get spanked. Step back. Turn the cheek. Go to prayer. So Lord, you take care of that. And you will see he will. I've seen it. I've walked with him for 20-some years now. And I have been disciplined because I am not a smart man. Over and over and over again. And there's times when I pray, God, why is this happening? Don't show me something. Like, oh. But going back, God is giving us a way to restore that extraordinary relationship. And it's through his son, Jesus Christ. He calls us and he says, do no harm. Right? Do no sin. Sin is crouching at your door and it wants to rule over you. 
Turn to me. Submit to me. And on a side point, very quickly, Romans chapter 8 is an important chapter in the Bible. I encourage everybody to read it. You can try to obey God by just obeying the laws, and you're going to get worn out, you're going to get tired, and you're going to get bitter. Because yeah. you can't do it underneath your strength. No. So God gives us a spirit of things. He gives us his spirit. And many Christians are not in communion with the spirit of God that lives in them. In fact, they don't even believe it. Or they believe something that the Bible doesn't teach about it because it's been church culture, church tradition for years. The very greatest gift God has given us is spirit in our lives. We don't even see it. We seek human wisdom. We seek human knowledge. Pro-con lists. Right? We don't go to God and create it. So I'd encourage each and every one of you, read that scripture. See what it really means. Take everything you've ever learned about the Spirit of God, put it aside. Get along with your Word of God and pray to God and seek the Spirit of God within you. Because He is real, He's legit, and in Him is peace, joy, gentleness, patience, kindness. And He gives you the strength to turn that out of you and to sin no more and to have the relationship. So in conclusion, the judgment will come. You will have regret or reward. You're an image bearer of God, the Lord God most high. You're an extraordinary creation to have an extraordinary, created to have an extraordinary relationship with the creator of the universe. The results of transgression are manifested in the pain we see in the world. You're not only causing harm to yourself, but to those around you, those that follow you, but also to be to God. Our pain is nothing in comparison to the pain of He loves us. He's provided a way for us to restore our relationship with Him. And it's only through His Son. But it's not on our terms. It's on His terms. Resist sin, seek Him, surrender to Him, submit to Him. And you will see that in His presence is joy, fulfillment, in His right hand, pleasures. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be up here, Lord. I ask that your name is, and that you are, um, I'm just going to pray, Lord, except to say thank you. Father, you chose us, you chose me, I think I chose you. You stand, stood beside me as I turned away from your outstretched hand over and over again. Lord, have I sinned as a Christian, as a follower of your knowing the truth, I've caused more and more harm to your heart, harm to my life. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen the spirits of the saints in here to say no to sin. I pray that you would clear the mind of the saints in here and remove the deception that sin gives. I pray, Father, that you will soften the heart to give a heart of flesh and not to some, or not, or not a stone to the people that I do. God, I pray, Lord, for your might and your will, for your power to be manifested through your image bearers. God, that the, the only solution in the world to all the pain is you. And that we would walk through this life representing you to others so that they would know you. But there's another way. There is another way from being our own gods. Just to really just be the image bearer that you called us to be. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. As we take the bread and we take the juice.
May we remember him and what he's done for us. And may we continue to do for us every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay.